step up here and to share. And what we're sharing together is this whole uh, Christ-life phenomenon, this exciting reality of a relationship with God. I remember way, way, way back when dinosaurs were roaming the earth, and I had first given my life to Christ. I was one of those Jesus people from uh, uh, the late 60s and the early 70s. You'll have to guess which uh, was where I got saved, but uh, it was the early 70s, just so you know. But, but I remember uh, just the, the joy of the Lord, this sense of excitement and enthusiasm that filled my soul from day one. I mean, when you are what the scripture says, when you are brought from death to life, we sang about it today, when he, he just brings you this freedom that sets you free from everything, uh, it, just, it just spawns and sparks a joy and an and, and enthusiasm in your soul. Amen. Uh, and I, everybody that I knew who was Christian had that experience. And so it just was very normal for me. And I, I, with them, had this wonderful opportunity to just share that and, and enjoy the uh, reality that we all shared the same thing. And then I found church. And I found in church, formal, organized, religious, whatever it was, I found people who claimed to have this same living, loving, thriving, glorious relationship with Jesus, but they looked for all the world like they were kind of bored or tired. They were certainly unenthused. They, there was a, and I didn't know how to deal with them. I really didn't know how to deal with them. I, I just was like, are these people saved? Or are they not? Are they lost? So what's, what's wrong with these people? How can you have this glorious thing that is going on with God and, and yet look and act and talk and live like that? And, and I, I discovered the answer to that. And I want to help you with that today. There is a huge difference between the rigors of religious ritual and a real relationship with Jesus. Amen. You can know about God and not know God. You can be able to recite scriptures about the Lord Jesus. You can even pray to the Lord Jesus and pray in the name of the Lord Jesus and not have a living relationship with him. In fact, you can apparently involve yourself in ministry for years and not have a living relationship with Jesus. Now, I say that because I've read the Sermon on the Mount. How many of you have read the Sermon on the Mount before? Yeah, and those of you who are watching online. The, the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says, there are many people who will say to me at that day, and he's speaking about the day of judgment, the day of accounting. There are many who will say to me at that day, oh, Lord, Lord, didn't we do this and that and the other thing in your name? Clearly, these are people who believe that they have a relationship with the Lord because they have done ministry and successful ministry in Jesus' name. And have you read the rest of the red print there? Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, didn't we do this and that and the other thing in your name? And I will say to them, I never knew you. In other words, we have no real relationship. 
And so it shouldn't surprise you today that as we talk about the Christ life, we're going to talk about relationships and the huge difference that there is between rigor and religious ritual. In fact, if you're a religious person and you're all about the rules and the regulations and the rituals, then, then really the strong survive. Really, only the strong survive. Those who can tough it out and do it and bless God, they're the austere ones. They're the disciplined ones. They're the rah, whatever. And, and they're so mean about it that they want you to be as sad as they are. How many of you, come on, you've been faced with people like that. We don't have no fun. We serve the Lord. I'm thinking, wow, I didn't know they were mutually exclusive. How many of you know it's supposed to be a joy? and a delight to serve the Lord because we do it not because of religious ritual and rigor. We do it because of a living, loving relationship, a learning relationship with Him. He loves us when we are just mired in filth and sin. Even then, Christ gives His life for us. And so we just, being loved like this, we begin to love Him because He first loves us. And we, we accept the invitation into a living relationship. Uh, you know, that's how the disciples became disciples. They didn't qualify. They didn't join a program. They didn't fill in an app online. They didn't download the right things. Jesus walked into their world and basically interrupted the flow of their lives with an invitation. He said, follow me. Come with me. Be with me. In fact, take, take, here's one of the passages. Take my yoke on you. Learn my teachings. Learn me. This is what God has called us to, this glorious living relationship. We already talked about the fact that Jesus is alive and well and operating in the earth. We already talked about the fact that people are the highest. There is special order of creation. That's the best way to say it. A special creation made in the image of God. And God loves us with an intense affection, and he always claims ownership to us. So when God does judge people, when God assigns people a future, he is well within his rights to do so, because he owns us. Nobody owns me. Oh, yes, he does. You can act like he doesn't. I'm fiercely independent. Not of God, you're not. Amen. You know how many people have tried not to die? How many wealthy people have bought every kind of medicine? They bought the, the, remember the days of Michael Jackson when he had the special chamber in which he could sleep? Michael died. Everybody dies. And after everybody dies, they face God. Kind of quiet here, but it's okay. These are things we need to work on and learn. And so people are the, the subject of God's claim of ownership. They are his forever. And uh, he loves us with an everlasting love. He loves sinning sinners. Who, remember this one? Sinning sinners who sin while they're sinning. That doesn't mean he loves you just the way you are. What it means is he loves you despite the way you are. He loves you enough in your sin to come and rescue you and pull you out. That's the beauty of the Lord. He loves us with this everlasting love. Today, we want to talk about the, the arena in which God operates. And really, it's relationships. Uh, let me read the scripture to you together. In fact, we'll, we'll put it up on the screen so you can read it with us. John chapter 13, 
verses 34 and 35 say something like this. Um, well, let me read it to you. I'm, I've got it open here. So John chapter 13. Well, right there it is. A new commandment I give to you that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love one for another. Now, we've read that before, but John takes that a step further in his epistle. In 1 John chapter 4, starting with verse number 7, here's, the, what, he, here's what he says. Beloved, that's all of us, let us love one another because this love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Now it goes on. This is important. Anyone who does not love does not know God. I know God, but I'm not loving. Eh, wrong answer. If you know God, you will be loving. That's just the reality of what it is. It says, if, you don't, if anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. His heart is toward people. He cares for people. Look around the room. Look, Come on, look at everybody for just a second. Do you know God loves them with an everlasting love? God has great plans for each one. God is absolutely over the moon. Woo! about everyone in the room. You need to look in the mirror and go, God really likes you. He does. He really loves you with an everlasting love. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. In this is the love of God manifest among us that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God but that he loved us. You could go home right after this sentence. Now, I'm not saying you should. I have more to say. But understand this. The key to loving God more fully and more well than you ever have before in your history is to know more well how much he loves you. Just understand the great grace and the mercy and the love of God for you in an ever-increasing way. And I promise you, the more you receive, the more you will respond and begin to recycle this before the Lord. Your worship won't be ritualistic anymore. It'll be a loving, honoring God. Woo! Thank you, Lord. You won't just sing, I mean, read songs about dancing and sing songs about dancing, but you'll actually probably dance. Every now and then. This is the reality that he loved us. And if God so loved, he sent his son to be, there's a word we don't use much, the propitiation, substitution for our sins, the only offering for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought also to love one another. I'll just stop with that one. If God loves us, then we should love one another. Let's connect with this truth for just a second because I think this is an incredibly important fundamental truth. It's a part of the Christ life that I, and a part of understanding for people that I think goes lost on a lot of people. The arena in which all true and transforming ministry takes place is relationships. Relationships are the arena in which all the true and transforming ministry of God actually takes place as God reveals himself in a person-to-person -person kind of way. 
Come on, read it with me out loud. Relationships, everybody, relationships are the arena in which all true and transforming ministry takes place as God reveals himself person to person. Now, the reason I think that's incredibly important is because this idea of an arena, a, a, a platform for ministry. Many times when we think of the platform for ministry, we, we think of something like this. Because we attend church. And I'm, I'm not saying don't attend church. I think it's a great thing that you do. But here's the reality. If, if this is how you see ministry, then there's only a few of you that are actually going to do this. You have to get a job. You have to get an education. You have to get a church that will pay you to be able to stand up and do these kind of things. What, what, what do you do with your ministry if it's bounded by a pulpit and a platform? There's no such thing then as a ministry for all the body of Christ. You see, the truth is that this is not the arena for ministry. This is an adjunct to the arena for ministry. This is a part and partnership of helping you in the arena for ministry. But the real arena for ministry is relationships. And, and here's my Texas version for you. All y'all are in them. isn't good. How do I know that? I know that because in the garden of God's creation, when everything was absolutely perfect and God placed man in the garden, God said, alone isn't good. It isn't good for man to not have a companion and a relational partner and someone just like him. Why would God say something like that? It's because God is relational. God made humankind for a relationship. He's not created you to be the coolest, the smartest, the richest, the most powerful, the highly influential. He's called you to be his and to know you're his and to honor him to receive his love and love him back with all your heart and mind and soul and strength and love everybody in this overflowing relationship of love with the Lord God Almighty. Amen? So this is the reality. God's love is a relational reality. We receive it and we recycle it in relationships. How did the disciples become disciples? Jesus walked into their world and invited them to be with him. When he chose the apostles out from among the disciples, when he chose the 12, you remember what it says in the scripture? He chose them and invited them to be with him. That's a powerful word. Do you know that the disciples spent pretty much 24 hours of every day 
for an almost three-year period of time with the Lord Jesus. Amen. That's a living relationship. They heard him laugh. They watched him cry. They heard him pray. They went to, to religious gatherings and watched him worship. They understood this relation. Well, they didn't always understand it, but they had access to ask. In fact, one of the, one of the times, one of the questions they ask is, okay, we pray, and you pray, and what you do isn't what I do. I want you to teach me that. Isn't that exciting? That's the reality. That's how we're supposed to live our lives, in relational uh, understanding so that someone sees how you love God, how you worship, how you prioritize, why you're generous, why you're obedient, why you choose holiness over sinfulness, all of those kind of things. Somebody is going to ask you, why do you do that? What's that all about? Bueno, bueno. Yeah, it's good. It is because God is with me, and, and, and I want to do this to honor and love and live in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so we, we are a part of a living relationship with God. And, and what he's called us to is to use these relationships in the same way that he does it. Relationships are the arena of God revealing himself to and through everyone. Can I say it again so you get that? Relationships are the arena in which God reveals himself to each of us, so that through us, he might make himself known to everyone, everywhere, every day. All of creation is relational. We are created for relationships, and we are created by relationships. Amen. So this is the reality. We become a truly dependent person built by and for relationship with God and with others. Now, when we grow into this truth, uh, being like Jesus means living in redemptive relationships. Here's, here's the passage of what it says. Uh, Jesus invited people. This is our grow passage. He invited people into a relationship with the Father by relationship with the Son. You get that? It is, it is, here, here's, what, here's the way he said it, actually, in Scripture. If you meet me, you've met him. If you see me, you see him. Because the Father and I are one. We're together. Now, in case you don't think that's the way we're called to do ministry, I want to remind you what John 14, 20 says. At that day, the calling of God for your life is that you will know that I'm in the Father and the Father's in me, and I, we, are in you. So we live and move in the same way that Jesus lived and moved. We do ministry in the same way that Jesus did. And so when we show up in a relationship, we say, if you meet me, you meet God.
Well, then I will. <laughs> Amen. I will make it my business to receive more of the Lord and relate to Him in a more powerful way and then to relate to others. This is what the Lord Jesus did. This is how He did it. And so what He did and how He did are examples for you and me of, of what we should learn and do. I don't have to recreate the wheel. I don't have to be the coolest preacher. I don't have to be you know, the best singer of songs or, or any of those kind of things, even the most talented person. The most valuable player. I don't have to be any of those things. I just have to be in a living relationship with God. And I have to understand the nature of a redemptive relationship. Is that a term that most of you don't use? We don't typically talk about relationships that are redemptive. We talk about redemption in terms of you need to go and find Jesus. You need to, you, you need to respond to the call of God and be redeemed, be bought back. But the reality is that every relationship can and should be a redemptive relationship. So let me help you with this one. To define a redemptive relationship is fairly simple. It's every and any relationship in which one person in the relationship sees that in, in addition to you and the other person, God is there. How many of you believe wherever you get together with anyone, whether they're saved or not, God is with you? Come on, wave your hand if you believe that. Okay, you believe in redemptive relationships. I'm here in the name of Jesus. I'm here in the name of Jesus. I'm here in the presence of Jesus. I'm here to serve the purpose of Jesus. I am here, and, and so is Jesus. Now, how many of you know when Jesus would be in a, in a room with his disciples and he would talk about seeing the Father, they didn't see the Father. They didn't. If they, if they had seen him, Philip wouldn't have asked the question, show us the Father, and we'll understand. They didn't see him. And this is the reality of a redemptive relationship. You, you can't go out there and say, look, if you just look hard enough, here's Jesus. But he is with you. The Spirit of the Lord is in you. His anointing is upon you. He's with you. And so he's here. Amen. Even though you don't see it. So it's not important that you see it yet. It's important that I see it. That's what makes a redemptive relationship. I understand that every relationship that I have along this horizontal line with people, the good, the bad, and the ugly. How many of you know sometimes you have relationships with all three? <laughs> sometimes we're all three. Amen. But every relationship, because I'm a believing person, has God in it. Every relationship, God is there. And what is he wanting to do? He's wanting to talk to me. He's wanting to reveal himself to me in this relationship. Come on, have you ever had a, bad, a relationship that went really bad? You know, some of you have been divorced. And that's a bad relationship. That's a, that's a horrible thing to have to go through. Some of you have been, have been lied about and cheated on and, and, and misused. Some of you have been abused. Horrible things that have happened to you in relationships. And because of it, we say to ourselves, okay, well, we're, we're just going to back away and never have relationships again. You can't do that. You're built for these relationships with God and with others. And so this is how he invites us into a relationship. So what does he do? He comes along to kind of be with you and say, you know, what, what are you doing here? Why are you letting this thing separate you from me? And so we respond to him. Well, here we are on this side of the triangle. And we respond to him along this line. Now, this is redemptive. We know the Lord. But we also know other people. 
And guess what the Lord is doing? From up here, he's trying to relate to those other people as well. This is the answer to this awful experiential prayer and conundrum, if you will. Why would God? Why would God? How is it possible that the great God of heaven let me go through such a horrible abuse or a horrible misuse or a horrible situation? I mean, pick the, pick the poison, whether it's a spouse beating you or a boss cheating you or, or any of those other kind of things, some level of betrayal. How is it, God, that you who love me would allow me to go through a situation like this? Where were you? Is that a legitimate question? And here's the answer. Here is the answer. I was where I am with you. Amen. In the middle of the horror. And if you'll look for me, you'll see me right there. And you'll, you'll see the tears that I'm shedding. But understand that I'm not just shedding tears for you. I'm also shedding tears for your abuser. For your torturer. For your misuser. Because I have a plan for their life. And they're not fulfilling it. I have a love and a mercy to show them, and they're not receiving it, and they don't know a thing about me. You know me, and I'm delighted by that, but they don't. And so my weeping is not just for you. It's also for them. Oh, honestly, when you understand the depth of this, it changes how you feel about them. It does. Instead of running out of the room, I'm not saying you're going uh, to invite the pedophile to be your babysitter. I'm not. I'm not saying you're going to just run into the arms of some abusive spouse from your history. I'm not saying that. I'm saying that you don't need to be bound by this agony of seeing them that, where you have your blood runs cold and you have to run out of the room and run to another place. Why? Because God works in the arena of divine relationships. And he is with you and in you to flow through you. even to your abusers. It's hard, but it's powerful. When we understand this, the Lord helps us by means of this relationship. This is what Jesus did, and this is how Jesus did it. These are examples to us. The, the passage in Acts chapter 10, where Peter is referring to Jesus' ministry, is a beautiful passage. It says specifically how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and power, who did something. He got himself a church and a pulpit and a good camera, and he went online. No, no. He preached to masses because, do you know why he preached to masses? Because they followed him into the wilderness. They just dogged his steps wherever he went. There was a crowd growing. Why? Because of the glory of the love of God showing through him, the power and the authority of God flowing through him to set captive people free, to touch people. They, they, just, they just knew they could come be with him. And so they went after him. He went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed of the devil because God was with him. Isn't that awesome? You know what you're going to do this week? Everybody in this house, you're going about. Amen? 
You're going to be somewhere. You've got a schedule. You've got an agenda. Whatever it is, whatever you want to call it, going about is what this scripture calls it. He went about doing good. Now, that's a good start. What should I do? How do I do the will of God? How do I change everybody? Uh, how does this ministry work in all these relationships? It starts with you just being good. <laughs> it's, it's, you're such beautiful people. I, I love the smiles on your faces like, I'm not always good. <laughs> I understand that, but God is. You are good. You are good. So good. Thank God. And he's with us to flow through us in these relationships. And so we go about doing good. You know what doing good looks like? It doesn't look like a miracle. It looks like a servant. It looks like loving and caring for somebody. It looks like not just passing a buck out of, out of a window to a person who's standing along a roadside in need. I'm not saying you shouldn't do that. If that's your habit, that's fine. But, you know, sometime it might not be a bad idea when you have the time to park the car and go have a chit-chat. I know everybody's, that's not your bag. I'm not saying everybody should do that. But that would be good. When someone is broken down by the roadside, good is not coming along and giving them a speech. I, I had a picture years ago when someone, I think actually I might have mentioned it to someone, and they just chewed me out. They said basically this. Uh, I, I was too late and too poor with my piece of advice to them. It was something like this. They fell off of this, this too tall of an area and were lying wounded on the ground. And I ran over to say, you shouldn't have stood so close to the edge. Now, that's probably a really good piece of advice while I'm still up there. But the instant I stepped over the edge and gravity took over, I realized halfway down, I shouldn't have stood so close to the edge. So good is not advice. Counsel for the next time. Good is, how can I help you right here, right now? Do I need to call someone? Can I pray with you? Can I pray for you? Can I help you to your feet? Uh, you say, what? I think I've read something about this. Yeah, they call him the Good Samaritan, who, who crosses the social barriers, who crosses over every line, and who generously gives to the support of someone that he's never met before just because they are people in need and just because he's the closest person relationally to them right here, right now. That's a redemptive relationship, brother, sister. That is the way God moves. And in this, just one more key before we move on to the go piece. In real relationships, in, in sharing Christ with people, in knowing them, in really understanding them, you know, asking questions about them, that, that really experiencing together the intimacy and the understanding of the knowledge of the Lord, the devil has, has poisoned intimacy to make it only sexual. Intimacy is much more than that. And we all need intimacy. We all thrive on intimacy. If we lack it, we dry up emotionally inside. We need people that we love and care for and who love and care for us. God provides us with this level of intimacy 
and understanding. And when it comes to intimacy and understanding and this living, loving relationship with the Lord, here's the truth. Bigger isn't better. Amen. Bigger isn't better. We live in a world where if it's good, supersize it. It'll be even better. Remember? Remember when a Coke used to be a drinkable without sharing it with four friends? Because it wasn't 64 ounces. It wasn't four times the size of your bladder. But now we supersize everything. Why? Because we're Texans. Bigger is better. If, if a few is good, a lot is better. Do you know something? That might be true when it comes to if we're going to have four voices singing together or we're going to have 400 voices singing together. Probably 400 is better in the sense that it, it, it's louder and stronger. And it's probably better in the sense that I can croak away and kind of be blending in. And so there are some things, I suppose, in which bigger is better. But when it comes to an intimate, loving relationship, when it comes to sharing honest truth with people, when it comes to the deep parts of your heart and your spirit before God, we don't want to get up in front of a thousand people and say that. We're not even sure we want to say that to the one or two that we're actually with. But there's at least a chance there to begin to do it. When it comes to loving relationships, bigger is not better. When it comes to the intimate understanding of who Christ is and how you can respond to that personally, bigger isn't better. Smaller is better. That's why you ought to be a part of a discipleship relationship. That's why you ought to be a part of a small group. I'm not saying don't come to the bigger events. Do come to those. But understand that the relationship, the arena in which God has called you to minister primarily is relationships. And those relationships are valid with one other person or two or three. Oh, you know, only four people showed up to our group. How awful. How wonderful. Amen. Four people showed up. And do you know how many people those four people are going to touch this week in relationships? I don't know. 50? 60? 80? Amen. Because this is how it works. This is the arena in which God works. He works in these redemptive relationships. And so he went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed of the devil. Why? Because he's communicating this living, loving presence of the Lord God. And so we move on to the grow piece. I mean, the go piece. And finally, it is just this. We need to see the opportunity. Just everywhere we go, every day, every one, there's an opportunity here to see Christ in the middle of this relationship. Amen. I'm not saying you got to go preach to them, but here's where you ought to start. You ought to love them. You ought to probably do this. Whisper a prayer. It doesn't have to be out loud. Lay your hands on them. Oh, God, bless my boss. Save this wicked sinner. That's probably not recommended. But you could whisper a prayer. Lord God, help me to see and to understand. When the first words out of your spouse in the morning are, get away from me. That's probably not a time for a fight. That's probably a good time to go, oh, Lord Jesus. And it doesn't have to be out loud. Again, if you'd like to just lay hands on them and cast that devil out of them, that's probably not a good move. But a, a time for a whispered prayer, a time for an understanding that God 
is in the middle of this relationship. Amen. And that he's wanting to make himself known. And so what do we do? We love them the way we want him to love us. Amen. We treat them with the same mercy and understanding and grace and goodness. We see every opportunity as an opportunity to serve in the love of God. Amen. Did you know how special you are? Do you know how much he loves you with an everlasting love? It's a beautiful thing. It's a beautiful thing to be beloved of God like you are. We need to be telling people that more and more and more. Amen. We need to be believing that more and more and more. So we see the opportunity to serve the Lord, and then we share in these living, loving relationships, the power and the presence of God in our relationships with other people. We, we just... We, we see Jesus there. And what does that do? It, it, it eases me up. It causes me to be less demanding and less insistent about everything. It also causes me to be less, what do I want to call it? I, I've got to be the one who puts the pressure on them to give their life to Jesus. Who ever told you that? Do you know what Jesus did with the disciples? Here's what he said of them. And I, I just remind you, this is in John chapter 17. This is Jesus' prayer. He said, Father, they were yours before I got here. These ones that I call mine and they call them, them themselves Jesus' disciples, I call them my disciples, they really are yours, Father. Because you had them before I did. And you gave them to me. And I've kept them in your word. And so now, I want them to go do the very same thing with everyone else. I promise you, in your sets of relationships this week, the Father has plans for you to touch people's lives in the name, in the love, in the, the, the grace of Jesus Christ. And it's just going about doing good, being kind, being gracious, being loving, being forgiving. Oh, the world needs a bunch of forgiveness. How many of you know mean is at an all-time high? It is. It, just, look, just, just look on the internet. Look on anything. I just, I can't tell you. I, I'm not a big social media person, but it just causes my, my insides to recoil every time I see that, that there's, this, there's this fight in an airport or there's this crazy person who's jumped out of a, of a car in traffic with a baseball bat. And they're pounding away. And somebody, somebody, the smartest loving thing they could do was film it. God help us. Amen. This is why Christians are supposed to be so different than everybody else. Amen. While everybody else is picking on that, that person who doesn't fit in. We're the one who sits with them in the cafeteria. Amen. We're the one who comes alongside to help. Amen. Why? Because we're going about doing good. Amen. Bringing the love and the grace and the goodness of God and the presence of God. So much so that they'll go, why do you do that? It's because the Lord does that for me. It's how he feels about you. And I just want you to do, I do this in the name of the Lord. 
Hey, thank you again for joining us. We hope that our time together has been a blessing to you. And it doesn't have to end there. If you want to find last week's sermon, you can go to Facebook, YouTube, or you can listen to us on the audio podcast. You can let us know if you'd like to be further connected in a life group. But let me go ahead and pray as we close and say, God, thank you for being with us, Lord God. Thank you for helping us to carry your words, Lord God, and change our lives, Lord. Help us to carry your love to those around us. And we thank you for what you are doing. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you and thank you for being a part. We hope to see you soon.